Glad you're here this morning. We are continuing the series uh, where we're looking at the Bible's answer to the question, what is the reason for me? This is the most important question you will ask and answer during your lifetime. Uh, The first week of this series, we looked at a mountainous command that Jesus gave when he was asked a trick question by a lawyer. Uh, He was asked about the greatest commandment, what's the greatest commandment in Scripture. And he said the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have. That's number one. It's the most important thing you can do with your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Uh, He said this is the first peg that all the law and the prophets, all the writings of Scripture hang on. Uh, that's, that's the number one. Last week, we looked at how to do that. How do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength when you can't see Him? There, there's guidance in Scripture for that. If you missed either of those messages and you'd like to hear them, you can find them on uh, Church of Valley website. This morning... We're going to turn a corner and look at the number two peg, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I I want to look at the Bible's answer to the question, why do I live exactly where I do? Why is it that I live where God has put me? He's placed me in my city, at my address, and among friends I've grown to know and love. Have you ever stopped to wonder why? Why you live where you do? You and I live in the most densely populated state in the country. Not a shocker, is it? If you've ever tried to drive anywhere, <laughs> uh, you know that. That's here. Here's a map based on the the U.S. population. It's distorted by the biggest states uh, in terms of population, and you can see California wins the prize. <laughs> We're very, very densely populated. Um, some of us enjoy that aspect of living here. Some of us despise it. Some of us don't even think about it. I, I actually enjoy living in the hustle and bustle. I enjoy the city. According to a study, from 2007 to 2016, about 5 million people moved to California from other states. You might be happy to find out during the same period, six million people left. (laughs) So, you know, people are coming and people are going. Um, No matter where you live, though, if you don't know your purpose, life won't have the meaning that God intends for it to have. This, This is just the way it is. If you don't discover and decide to live for your purpose, life won't be meaningful wherever you are. Because wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't really help. If you don't know God, if you don't seek Him, come to know Him, and decide to live for His purpose, the one He made you for, Life has little meaning. Here's what I want to look at this morning to begin with, anyway. 
It's no accident you live where you do. In, his first, in the first message of this series, we, we glanced at a statement uh, the Apostle Paul made in a sermon to Greek philosophers in the Areopagus in Athens. And he was talking to people who love to kick around ideas. They, they love to wrestle with gigantic questions, and they talked about the ideas, but the interesting thing about them they never drew any conclusions. <laughs> they, they, they just liked kicking around the ideas, and I hope you don't do that. But here's what Paul says, Acts 17, 26, 27. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us. God has a purpose for every person he placed on the planet, including you and I, and he has placed us where we live for a specific and special purpose. Here's a picture of our part of the world, Google map of the Ontario area. Um, you, you can see here, we're right now, we are, let me see if I can figure it out, uh, we are right about higher. Thank you. Thanks. I need help. Appreciate the help. Anyway, I think we're right about. Wait, wait. Higher. Where am I? <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having a little fun with me. Um, anyway, that's where we are right now. Now, here's a Google map of all the members and attenders. Of Church in the Valley. It's interesting to see where our congregation lives, where some of us live in the same neighborhood, so you know there's a dense population there, but for the most part we're spread out over a wider area. It's interesting to see this, even better to ask the question, why do we live where we do? What does the Bible say about why we live where we do? Jesus has a very specific lens that he wants us to view our neighborhood through. Very, very specific. Uh, you might view your house as your cave. In the extreme, your bat cave. And when you pull into your garage, you're just, it's your cave. The rest of the world is irrelevant. You don't really care once you're inside there what's going on. In the rest of the world. Maybe you see your home as a fortress to protect you from the war zone outside. You've got security cameras, gates, walls to protect you. And, you know, I have a ring doorbell, and it's kind of fun. I can see what's going on. People lets me know when people show up and different things. It's, it's wise to have these at times, but how do they impact your perspective on your home? How, how do you look at it? You know, Jesus would, would love it if we viewed our homes as a place to accomplish the mission he's given us. He'd like us to see our neighborhood as a place where we can do exactly what he's called us to do. Jesus taught that loving your neighbor is a reason 
you are here. Number one reason, first peg, to love God with everything you've got. Second reason, peg number two, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's peg number two. We're going to get into another dialogue Jesus had with another lawyer. That was the first week we went through the, the dialogue he had with the first lawyer that tried to trick him up, trip him up, asked him a tricky question, what he thought was a tricky question. Uh, that was found in Matthew. Today we're going to look in Luke, another biography about Jesus' life. And it's interesting. Slightly different question that was given to bait and trap Jesus. Uh, the lawyer was hoping that he would give a deficient answer that would lower his credibility with God-fearing people. But again, he gives the same answer. And on these two occasions, Jesus, in responding to these questions, uncovers the reason we're here. So here's the dialogue, Luke 10, 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I think this is an excellent question. If, if eternal life is available, we need to know how to get it. So that's a really good question. Now, his motive for asking that question wasn't great. He was trying to trip Jesus up, but hey, that's a good question. And what you find is, as the dialogue, the conversation goes back and forth, the lawyer is operating in the realm of ideas. But Jesus' answer cuts straight to the heart of the matter. And you watch him sort of reel in his next statement that he makes. We'll get to in a moment. But basically, Jesus says, if you want eternal life, you must love God with everything you have and your neighbor as yourself. Basically, that's in the realm of impossibility for imperfect human beings. <laughs> I mean, I don't love God with everything I've got. I'm growing in it. I don't love my neighbor as myself. I have my selfish moments. It's in the realm of possibility. If, if we never do that perfectly, so God's made a way for us. He's made a way. Jesus came. That's why Jesus stepped onto this planet, lived the life he did, so that we can follow him on into eternal life. We're, we're taught in other places in the Bible that even though we don't live this out perfectly, a full commitment to the Lord and his purpose is the line that we cross to gain eternal life. And once we've crossed that line and decided to follow Christ, given our life to him, given our heart to him, then uh, God makes it so we have eternal life, not based on what I do or don't do, but God gives it if my heart 
has been given to him. And I've decided to live my life for him. And I set out to obey him. I don't do that perfectly, but God takes my faith and he accepts it. And then he begins to work out the reality of eternal life in, in and through us. So this, this is what you find. But anyway, this answer rocks the lawyer's world. I mean, this, this conversation, Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do it, go and do it. He knows he doesn't love his neighbor as himself. And so he asks a follow-up question. But he, desiring to justify himself, so in other words, he's got to figure out, this is the great thing about Jesus. He died on the cross so that he could justify us and forgive us of our sins. This guy is trying to justify himself. And so he says, uh, who is my neighbor? <laughs> Just who are you talking about here? Um, who is that? And Jesus' answer to this follow-up question is very instructive. He answers with a parable, a short story. A parable is a short story with a core lesson embedded in it. One or two lessons. That's, that's usually what he's trying to do with his parables. And here's the story he tells. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he sees what's going on. He goes by on the other side of the road. So likewise, a Levite, a Levite was someone who worked in the temple uh, that day. Uh, when, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He, he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You know, our world is getting smaller by the hour. Travel is easier than any time in history. Uh, a person can build a friendship with someone on the other side of the world through online. Uh, and if you're on social media, you're, you're pelted with a barrage of needs constantly. You, you know, you're, you, you know of very remote needs thousands of miles away. And if you're wired a certain way, your heart goes out to those needs. In this story, Jesus makes the identity of our neighbor very clear. It's the person right there, right in front of you. The one you come across on your path. That you're living out. If you're a Christ follower, you're commanded to show love to the people in your path every day. This brings an enormous amount of 
purpose and meaning to our lives. Let's go back to the story. The priest and Levite are typical. They're too busy with their own life and agenda to help and to stop and help the person. Uh, have you ever had to dodge a distracted walker? They're in their, they're in their phone. And here's a sign that they've started putting up some places. <laughs> ah, people get so focused on their smartphones that the people around them are just objects that they, they've just got to get around. That's what's going on with the priest and Levite here. Uh, people are mere objects as they walk by. And it shouldn't be that way. We know this <laughs> deep down. People are not objects. People are people. They have a dignity God's given them because of the, who they are and how he's made us. All of us have the same amount of dignity. All of us know that we should care about other people in our path. According to a major study coming out of Oxford University in the UK, people everywhere share seven universal moral rules. This is interesting. This is the largest, most comprehensive survey of morals ever conducted. Here's a list of the moral values we share. Number one, help your family. Number two, help your group. Number three, return favors. Number four, be brave. Number five, defer to superiors. Number six, divide resources fairly. And number seven, respect the property of others. The lead author and researcher for the study, Dr. Oliver Scott Curry, said, These seven moral rules appear to be universal across cultures. I find that interesting. This matches up with what the scriptures say. That the Bible says that God has put a conscience in each one of us. And this is evidence that there's a universal law written on our hearts. The interesting thing is, if there's a universal law, there must be a lawgiver. We don't come up with these things on our own. These are placed in our heart by someone. Let's go back to the hero of the story. He's widely known as the Good Samaritan. He's, he's the only guy who showed love to his neighbor. The victim of the story was robbed and left for dead. Notice the hero's response to the man's plight. When he saw him, he had compassion. This was originally written in Greek, and the word compassion in the Greek literally means to be moved as to one's innards, inwards, insides. We're we're moved. It gets to us. When we see a need, it, it, it there's something that moves inside of us toward that person. That's compassion. Jesus wants the needs of the people around us to get to our heart. But we can be numb to the needs around us because there are so many. And, and we, have to, we have to guard against that, getting numb. Our hero's heart moved him to take action to meet the needs. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was the medicine of the day. 
He stopped, he bandaged his wounds, then he adjusted his schedule to help further. He, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. When our hero had to go on his own way to take care of his responsibilities, he went to the innkeeper and he covered his expenses for the inn. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, I can't stop all the time, and I can't just, that's great, but I don't have time to do that for everybody around me. And the Lord doesn't expect you and I to drop our responsibilities and just meet the needs around us all day. He does want you and I to see the needs that are around us and meet them while we're carrying out our responsibilities. There are many needs that we could meet if we just took the time and a detour or a little pause on our path. God wants us to blend our responsibilities and meet needs we can meet with the resources we have. With the time and money we have available to us, he wants us to meet the needs around us. We can't meet the needs of the entire world, but we can serve those around us who are in our path. We can meet their needs, the ones within our power to meet, the one we have the resources to meet. And that means we need to inconvenience ourselves. That's love. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You're willing to inconvenience yourself. One last thing. Jesus was a Jewish man talking to Jewish people. Samaritans were hated by Jews at this time in their history. And and they still are. Samaria is in the northern West Bank, a region of unrest where conflict between Jews and Samaritans continues to this day. Our hero, the good Samaritan, was a despised person who broke through barriers to show love. This is the example Jesus gives in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? There are no barriers. He he wants us to push through and be bold in helping those around us. This is a step way beyond what makes sense to us and even the universal moral code. We need God's help to love like this. But this is, this is the life he's called us to if you're a Christ follower. This is what he wants. We, we have to confess our selfish tendencies. We have to quit looking for loopholes in the definition of neighbor. And ask God to help us adopt his heart for the people around us. And serve. As I wrap up the message, I want to encourage you to think about where you live and where you travel during the days. And think about the opportunities you have to meet the the needs of the people around you. Think about your life map, the places where you go on a regular basis. Here's a map of the places I go. This is Randy's life map. Um, you can see on that screen, I have my home. 
my neighborhood. I have the church office. I have Woodcrest Christian. I come here every week. Ralph's, Costco, Starbucks, but I'm not a real Starbucks frequent. I don't frequent it very often. Um, but that represents sort of maybe like the Archibald drive-ins of the world because that's more likely where I'll go. I have a meeting there every other week at least. And then uh, the other, like Panda Express, or that, that sort of represents those kinds of places. Um, there are places I go and there are people I relate to in these places. My neighbors, co-workers, cashiers, baristas. People behind the counter. God wants me to look for needs of the people in my path that I can meet. This is this is this brings meaning to life. This is this is purposeful. He wants me to meet their need out of my love for God. That's how these two commands relate. I love God, so I love the people he made because he loves them tremendously. Doing good to others, showing God's love to them, builds bridges. And we love others and treat them the way we wanted to be treated in each situation. If we treat them that way, it builds bridges. It stirs their heart. If we've identified as a Christian, it stirs their heart. To want to seek God. That's the grand purpose for which we live, is to help people want to seek God. I realized on my way home, I took a quick, well, I guess it was, it was a long day, two, two days, uh, to Orlando and back this week. But I realized on the way back, I had a Church in the Valley t-shirt on. <laughs> All of a sudden, I realized, ho, ho. But thankfully, I'd been behaving myself. Okay, but I realized, oh, I'm, I'm representing more than just me in the way I relate to the folks around me. And that got me, you know what, if you've identified yourself as a Christian, you're representing more than yourself in the way you respond to the people around you, in the way you treat them. And Jesus says, love them. As you do yourself. This is the purpose and meaning that God brings to life. If we seek him and find him, he brings meaning beyond the ordinary, even to a plane ride on the way home. God puts us where we live, and we live where we do for a reason. To show love to those in our path as we have opportunity. I have one suggestion for how to apply the message today, and I'd like to encourage you to think through your own response. Maybe there's another way you'd like to apply it. Um, But would you consider taking a next step? My next step today is to, this is my suggestion, pray each day for opportunities to show God's love to others. Think about your own life map. Where are the places, where do you normally go? What does that look like? Think about the people that you're going to be meeting and talking to, the people at work, the people uh, at the the establishments you frequent, people in your neighborhood. How can you show love to them? How can you love them like you love yourself? That's what Jesus would want. 
And then there's an opportunity to just write out something that you thought of. It's on the back of your listening guide there. And I'd like to add a postscript to the message today. Easter's coming up in a couple of months. Ash Wednesday is this, is this week. It's the beginning of Lent. It's on the Christian calendar. Uh, it's the beginning of the season where we celebrate Easter. It's, Ash Wednesday is 46 days from Easter. Easter is a season when people are most open to attending church. Christianity gets a lot of attention worldwide at this time of year. And I think that's because one, one of the things that happens is there's this draw to investigate Christ at this time of year because the power of the resurrection is real. It is real. And so there's this power. And you can be sure that some of the folks around you in your path are looking for an opportunity to attend church at Easter. They're just waiting to be invited. And helping someone to know more about God is an extremely loving thing to do. As I mentioned, your kindness can be a bridge to them. As you kindly meet the needs of those in your path, opportunities to invite your neighbors to church and those you're relating to will be well received, better received. The Church and Valley staff would love to pray with you for folks that you plan to invite to Easter. And I'd like to ask you to take a moment, if you would, to think about your neighbors, your friends, your family, others in your path that you'd like to invite to the Easter service. And then write write their names. And you can see right here that under comments, um, there's there's a place, if you haven't written a prayer request, which is great, just find a spot to write the names of people that you would like to invite uh, to Easter service this year. Uh, Because this is such a time of opportunity for including others in what we're doing, for letting them hear about Jesus Christ themselves. And the church staff will pray for you, that God would open up an opportunity for you to invite and for a positive response from the people you do invite. Uh, if if you don't if you can't think of names right now, just pray about it and consider it and think it through. We'll give you another opportunity in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you so much for your Word, the Bible. Thank you, God, for the way that you speak to us through it. Thank you for giving us the grace to have eternal life, even though we can't earn it. We honor you, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to us. I pray that you'd help us to love you more and love the people around us, God, in a way that bring honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.